The venture capital well is drying up, or so they say. So how did we get here? Who survives? And what should you do if somebody hands you $20 million on the street? All that and more in this interview with M. Herrera from Knight Ventures. Start with some introductions here. Let me know who you are, what you do, why you do it. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, I'm M. Um, I work at a VC fund called Knight Ventures. It is a creator-based fund. We invest in a whole bunch of different consumer companies, consumer enablement companies, and I am the acting principal. The name's kind of like investor. We can talk about that later, what that even means, but basically I support the three partners on the team um, and do everything on the investment side, on the non-investing side, everything. So I wear all the hats. My background is I used to be a data journalist and then I went to do some product of some media companies um, and somehow got wrapped into VC. And I was at a couple of different consumer funds, kind of focusing on Gen Z consumer and underserved consumer. I had a community called The Wires, which I still run. It's a Gen Z women focused community that's um, operators and founders and investors that are under 26 or 27 that are in the space. And we would just run insights and I would sell the insights. We'd co-invest with each other, syndicate with each other, um, become accredited with each other, a whole bunch of different stuff. And that's kind of, I think, what really put me on the map um, was being able to have that kind of community. It also allowed for me to really create my own voice and have my own Twitter um, and really craft this really special space. I love hearing the stories of people who get into venture, how they got into it. They're always so interesting to me um, because I feel like no two stories are the same. And I think that given your, your background, especially with having built communities and using that experience to, I'm sure, impact the work that you're doing today, I think you are, are pretty uniquely qualified here to talk to me today about the state of venture capital. The zoom out is so big when we talk about what is going on in venture capital today. Um, and so with that, I want to start with one of those like big zoom out kind of questions. And I want to preface this conversation by saying that um, lately, to me, money has felt more made up than ever. Uh, and I think that other people kind of feel the same way um, in mm -hmm. the conversations that I've been having. You know, it, mm -hmm. it's partly, I think, in, you know, due to the fact that it's maybe becoming a little harder to come by, both by design and just by the nature of the way that our economy works. Um, but it also does kind of feel like over the, you know, maybe less over the last couple of months than the decade that came before, that it was just crazy. The size of the checks that we were seeing deployed from the venture space, it seemed like anybody with a half-baked idea and like a decent pitch deck could get a cool $50 million check. Um, yeah. That obviously has changed some over the last couple of months, which we're going to talk about. But with that in mind, does it ever feel to you working in venture that money is made up? I have a hot take here. I had to become a little bit more desensitized to money and values I remember specifically learning about VC for the first time, probably like two and a half years ago. And I realized that people were getting millions of dollars. One of my main goals with making my community and getting involved was normalizing, giving and getting a million dollars, just $1 million and getting further into the space, especially working at a fund like, um, like Harlem Capital that does a lot more series A and you can see you know, tens of millions of dollars, sometimes hundred millions of dollars you really have to become a little bit desensitized when you are dealing with the amount of risk for LPs, for people that you know personally, um, then you're also your, your personal buy-in to the fund. You definitely have to become a little bit removed emotionally from, from how much money it is and focusing on supporting the founders that you, know, you trust that they need that kind of money 
just support them in whatever uh, capacity that they need. Um, but yeah, doesn't feel doesn't feel as real as you give me twenty dollars on the street. I'm going to be just as excited if, if you give me a million. That's that's a great way of of kind of encapsulating all of this is the feeling that I would have if somebody decided to stroke me a check for a million dollars is like. I'm speechless. I don't even know what to say, right? Like my perception of money as an average everyday person um, who worked for a company that was notably bootstrapped, who is bootstrapped still today, it is so difficult to totally wrap my head around just how much money is being deployed to these companies. And I appreciate the fact that you place the trust in your experience in the people, not so much in you know, what they're exactly going to do with it, right? Like you, ha- there has to be yeah. that human connection, that human relationship. Um, but another thing you brought up that I, I wanna dig into a little bit before we kind of get to the, the what's going on today of it all, money versus value seems yeah. super interesting. What's your perspective yeah. on the difference between money and value? So there are a lot of like meta ways you can go about that. Thankfully, my first real VC experience was working at a pre-seed fund. So I think my focus, and when I would syndicate, it was also just pre-seed mostly. I'm kind of trained to just focus on founder and founder vision, and then just compare that to like market value and a person's like real ability to execute. And that should really be it. I don't think that I'm necessarily qualified to talk about overvaluing versus valuing at cost. But I think that there is a emotional tie to these valuations and how much money you get. And an example is I work with a lot of women founders and I had had two founders recently who were friends of mine raise actually in the um, creator economy space um, a seed, but it was smaller than I think a lot of their guy friends. And I heard that they were a little bit nervous about their PR releases and going on and talking about the raise and blah, 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 stuff like that. And I just, I think that was the first time that I realized how emotional evaluation and uh, raises like success rate is for founders. And I find that to be really interesting because the way that I have been brought in is a founder says, I need X amount of money to do this thing and to get me to this metric. And then I will go and probably raise again. Maybe, maybe not. I think that there is a new emotional tie to valuations. And I think that that is part of the reason why you have so many inflated valuations. That's like part of it. And then also VC greed, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. We talked about that for years. But um, I think that's probably the most interesting thing I'm thinking about right now is the emotional tie to valuations, the, the PR runs and the ability to acquire hot talent from different startups, depending on the valuations and who's in your funds and how much you raise, rather than the idea that you're executing on and a founder's previous experience and the current team that they have. I think it's it's really insightful. And the idea that there is emotion tied to this, I think is something yeah. that in my experience, we haven't talked enough about when we consider right. venture capital. Um, I was talking last week with Caroline Spiegel, who started the company Quinn, uh, and we were just talking about the the fact that her business solved a problem that she faced, that Quinn was a business that could solve something. There was a problem, it needed yeah. a solution, she stepped in to do it. And I was explaining to her that sometimes it feels like businesses are just cropping up out of nowhere, not to solve yeah. a problem, but just to exist for, what, nine months before they get bought or, or SPAC or IPO, and then... Yeah 
the, the founders walk away with a fat check, you know, and, and that is not necessarily solving a problem. It's just playing off of an industry that is really emotionally motivated, that the size of your round matters, the names on that term sheet matter, comparing it to other companies within your space, all of that matters. But when we figure that against the idea of like, we work raised of like what, $47 billion or something crazy like that, with the premise of elevating the world's consciousness, they really yeah. didn't have an idea. They were just raising money. I mean, well, I guess we could argue the, the details of that, but the entire premise of the company was perhaps not the most sound in terms of execution, in terms of actual vision moving forward. How do you kind of sift through all of the ideas that can come across in this space and figure out, you know, like who's, who's raising because they actually have a problem to solve versus yeah. who's raising because and like part of my French here, they just want to like swing their dick around, you know, like what's, yeah. what's the difference there? How do you see that difference in terms of the ways that, um, you know, the venture space is, is trying to differentiate today? The same way that founders have different reasons for raising, different reasons for building, VCs also have different reasons for investing. Mm -hmm. And um, kind of how I break down the space right now is you can really say that a VC, a VC is good at their craft in four different categories. There's being a really good investor, and that's just like hit rate, right? Your MOIC is gonna be a certain percentage. Um, being a good picker, you could say also too. Being a good traditional VC in the 2022 sense is um, thought ownership, um, content, community, platform, um, and that, that could be more on like the Twitter persona kind of. And then also um, being a good portfolio manager, so where you allocate the assets that the LPs are trusting you with. Um, you saw a lot of funds opening um, investment DAOs, putting some money into stable coins, into not traditional um, vehicles. Um, so there's that, right? What's going to have the best return for your LPs? And then also being the best fund manager. And that's who you're hiring, what their theses are, the dynamics of the fund and how you make decisions on, you know, crafting the other three facets that are all going to incumbent the entirety of the fund. Reasons for investing could be believing in a market, believing in an issue, um, or just believing in technology. And I think what's really interesting about like post web three exhaustion for investing, um, that was mostly investing in a technology, right? And it, whether or not it's going to work. Um, what I'm interested in as an investor is investing in um, problems and people. Mm -hmm. And you're just gonna find those two kinds of personas. Um, and that's, I think, really the difference between more Silicon Valley, knee, traditional VCs back from like five, 10 years ago who just wanna mostly invest in technologies um, versus the more East Coast kind of VCs that are more. Um, you know, want to understand an industry and understand a problem and, and, and really understand what the market is going to be excited to purchase and use and build off of. That's just how I see it. Like, there's really a VC for everybody and there's really a founder for everybody and it's really about the match, but I'm more of a, a problem-centered person. I appreciate the context and I would love to officially stoke the conversation here in the comments or in my inbox or wherever about the <laughs> West Coast versus East Coast VCs. Oh, yeah. I find it super interesting. We'll have to do like a follow-up on that alone oh, for yeah. anybody interested. For sure. um, but you know, I, I think this this kind of the big takeaway here is like, 
there is a lid for every pot. You know, that has kind of been the attitude, I think, for for a lot of people in um, the startup world over the last couple of years. You know, you can typically find someone who's going to give you a check if you're a founder. And if you're an investor, you can usually find someone who has an idea good enough, a trajectory good enough to earn a check. But with mm-hmm. that being said, there is this sense that things are slowing down right now. Um, I mm-hmm. will say the, the R word, recession, you know, we, we yeah. have to talk about that. So yeah. with that in mind, let's talk about what is going on in venture right now. This is my statistic of the day uh, from CB Insights. Global deal activity dropped 23% between the first quarter and the second quarter of this year compared to the previous quarter when deal activity dropped only 1.4%. That's a pretty big like cliff to jump straight off of. So I would love to hear your perspective on what's behind that slowdown. Off the cuff, YC came out with a really good digest on like what's happening with the market. So if anyone really is is looking for a good deep dive, I, I definitely recommend checking that out. But deals are deals are slowing down. People are getting a little bit more thoughtful in why they want to invest, how they want to invest, how much money they're comfortable with investing. I think the thing, uh, I know that a lot of VCs are saying, oh, we're doing more portfolio work, which we, at least at night, are doing tons of it. At least last week, probably 40% of my time was talking to portfolio companies and making sure that we're executing on the promise that we originally promised them. But another thing is really talking to LPs and getting a sense of, you know, are you interested in being in another fund within the next, you know, two, three years? Um, what's your investment strategy? How do you feel and, and what can we provide to you? I think that that relationship is going to get a lot closer and is really going to test the relationship between LPs and fund managers. So yeah, the market's slowing, hot deals are less hot because people are a lot more scared. Good founders are still out there. I still meet them all the time. I just think the number one thing that VCs are saying now is just it's a little bit too expensive for us right now. Mm-hmm. And also that is translated to we want to kind of temperature test what our LPs are really comfortable with doing and if we're able to raise another fund going forward um, within the next two years and three years. And that's really just like a whole bunch of strategy on an emerging manager standpoint. You know, who am I talking to? Do I want to branch out? What the follow-ons to be like? Um, And that's something that at night we're thinking about constantly. So when we hear the words, the venture well is going dry, which is something that people love. That's like, for some reason, the saying that people in this space love to say that this is a well that's drying up. Um, Is the well drying up because the the investors themselves are trying to be a little bit more prudent about how they're spending and where they're spending and who they're spending on? Or is it because the Mm -hmm. LPs themselves, and this is just kind of like on the whole, the LPs themselves Mm -hmm. are not funding new funds. Guarantee you it's LPs. Um, I think that there are probably like 10 funds. Any of the billion dollar plus funds are like fine, right? Right. Um, If you're on fund one, fund two, and you're definitely trying to prove out more of a thesis and you aren't really like a, a, in in that the four buckets, if you're not really a uh, portfolio manager as much, like traditionally, you're kind of sweating right now. Uh, because a lot of old school, traditional family offices, larger banks, their jobs, like these analyst jobs are to make sure that they don't lose their like rich bosses money. Right. So they don't want to be in like riskier funds. And they're like, yeah, the thesis is nice and this is fun. Um, but if I lose this money or if I don't make this money back by the time that I leave this firm, like I'm hosed. So I don't blame them um, at all. I do think it's an opportunity to tap into 
what we call like newer money or more creative money. But yeah, I think the sentiment, long story short, is coming from LPs. Fund managers are kind of nervous. Um, and larger funds that are also exposed to public markets, like when they get to like the tigers of the world, they do have like public market exposure um, that makes them nervous. So they kind of want to buckle down on what they're already invested in, which is not to blame them. I think it's just smart. Do you think that the newer money is more uh, open to risk taking than yeah. older money? And and why? So in my community, um, we used to sell insights and we had a thesis. And um, one of the parts of the thesis was investing as a form of curation. And um, especially as a creator, you have community expectation um, to have values and be a part of opportunities that are gonna be aligned with your community and really can co-create an experience with your audience. And um, that's what really interested me about working with Knight and when I would run syndicates and I'd bring creators into it, they were more interested in, like they had smaller checks, right? Um, but they were more interested in how they can really like broadcast this experience to their audience and have this be an extension of the things that they're involved in, in the same way that they would co-create content with another creator. And um, I think that that is unique. The growth-oriented creators like the Mr. Beast of the world, and then also the community-oriented creator who kind of will opt in and out of scenarios and co-create content with their audience just to kind of have a closer relationship. And it's more of a spectrum and creators can go back and forth on that spectrum. On both sides, they want to really push their influence. And I think that investing is still a really good opportunity for them to do that. It's not that it's not smart money. It's still definitely smart money, but it's more directed. And I think that they're more empowered to use the resources that they have that are not just capital. And, you know, I think when we consider the idea of, of smart spending or the you know, yeah. deploying capital in a smart way, um, no matter yeah. what you do, if you're Mr. Beast, if you're Emma Chamberlain, if you're Kinsey Grant podcast host, like it's always going to be a risk when you're in venture. Like the, the whole name of the game is swing 20 times and hope that maybe you get one home run. You know, like that is just the nature of the beast. Um, the nature of the Mr. Beast. Uh, I'm sorry. I would like to take that back. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like that there, there is inherently risk if you just want to participate in this, whether you are an old family office, whether you are a creator who's getting into this for the first time. But this brings to me, um, brings to mind for me, this idea that during this slowdown, right? Like there have always been, the market is cyclical, venture is cyclical as well. There are going to be periods when there's just more dry powder to spend and periods when there is less. I think yeah. this time around though, the unique aspect is that we have this newer generation of investors. We have people like Mr. Beast and Emma Chamberlain who maybe weren't here as investors mm -hmm. or, or as investors who are quite frankly respected the way that they are. Um, this last slowdown that we had, you know, whatever, a couple of years back. Do you think that impacts the way that we, as a, and I say we, the royal we, the way that you as investors recover or, or come back from a slowdown in spending, a recession, do you think that the fact that there is this new cohort of investors is going to change the trajectory of getting back to, I don't know, whatever normal looks like? I think even if you were to pull back another layer to not just the Mr. Beast and Emma Chamberlain's and the Kinsey's, you also have these um, VCs who are more of the Twitter persona that are, I would say, more creator than they would like to admit. It's really just people who understand like 
a digitally native environment and um, really come at building and prioritize like that digitally native aspect and understand the value of content, understand the value of community. And I think honestly, just as personas are just a lot scrappier, like traditionally VCs weren't trying to like get in the dirt with you. They were just kind of giving you money and you just give it back. Scrappier VCs are going to be proven during the recession and, and figure out like how, how friendly are you really to founders right now? Are you going to be giving them uh, more of the promise that you gave them in the beginning? Are you really going to be value add? Uh, or maybe if your value add is just not knocking on their door, like that works too. Um, but just trusting that the founder is going to communicate, like a good relationship, just going to communicate what they need. I mean, the, the worst relationships right now are these larger, like white cloud um, investors that invested pre-seed like five years ago from companies are now trying to figure out, hey, there's a recession going on. Like, are you building more product? Um, I think that that expectation is is not what founders want. And also it's not what individual VCs want. Um, so yeah, scrappiness from VCs, gotta put them to the test now. I think that you know, scrappy works for a reason and it survives for a reason. This is, you know, obviously the, the circumstances are unique in this particular environment, economically, macroeconomically, socially, yeah. product-wise, all of the above. But the scrappy always find a way to make it through. It's just how they work. So if the scrappy investors are going to be the investors who maybe are the, the most suited to um, get through this, what are the sectors or the kinds of companies or the kinds of founders who you see uh, within the venture-backed space, as, you know, startups broadly, what kind of businesses do you see as the most suited to also get through to the other side? Yeah, I mean, we, we only really invest in consumer, we call it more like culture investing. So that looks like creator, community, and consumer. Mm -hmm. um, so we definitely don't get to look at a lot of the uh, larger spaces like deep tech and environmentalism and all, all, a lot of these very lucrative spaces, I don't think I could talk on, but on the consumer side, companies that are thinking about building, co-creating co with people who are creators or creator oriented, um, because it's digitally native. So if you're not thinking about user generated content for, even if it's a dusty and crusty SaaS business, um, or how to, um, create community within your 10 beta users, or how are you going to showcase yourself on social platforms as a founder and really convey that vision before the product is being built. Like these are just fundamentals that don't cost as much, but really will keep a founder grounded on the vision and keeping the people who are excited about what they're building around them. I think it's the same way as like creators. So I know that, um, you know, Reed, who's one of the partners of the fund recently put out a, uh, like a state of like creators and what to do as a creator within the recession was really interesting. And uh, it's incredibly similar to the way that founders are thinking about it right now. Like money is being, is, is kind of dried up. Um, what are you going to be um, doing from a personal finance standpoint, but also like, how are you going to invest in the business? How are you going to think about um, taking brand deals and partnerships from more of a strategic standpoint rather than just like a one-off standpoint so you can maintain these relationships? So this might be a little bit of a selfish question, but I would love to hear your advice as somebody who is obviously deeply entrenched in this like culture creator focus community. Yeah. Um, I am 
a newly independent creator, I would say very much on the small side, but we are a small but mighty audience. Um, I have virtually zero costs other than like the monthly fee for the platform on which we are recording this. Uh, What would be your advice to a creator in my position if they want to make it through to the other side in a stronger position than they entered a recession? Financially? Anything. I think it's really the equivalent of just being a founder right now. So Mm -hmm. do you have enough money in the bank to do the vision that you've set for yourself within the next eight months? So like tangible, tactical things that I would do is one, talk to Reed, two, uh, make a personal financial plan versus a um, like business oriented financial plan. I think a lot of creators have a hard time separating the two of those. I would say just talk to your community and figure out what are the opportunities that they're missing. Just making sure that there are no gaps to which you can kind of um, get your point of influence across. Yeah. Um, and if you wanted to invest, we have a syndicate. <laughs> you can be a part of our syndicate for you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's so much that can go into that. But yeah. financially, you're going to be okay. Um, I've spoken to, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing and, and the costs are, are fine enough. Thankfully with nowadays, people don't have to hire an entire production studio to have a podcast. So you're going to be okay. I don't know if things will get amazing. I'm going to be honest. Um, but I think that that's, um, for everybody, not for creators. We will persevere. Um, I think that if I could, you know, survive looking at my investing account over the last like six weeks, like I can survive anything. Um, so I feel I don't know. Maybe I am just totally way too optimistic, but whatever. Like, it's going to be fine. We'll go through it. I have a question for you. Um, So I wanted to also like a personal question. Um, Part of the reason why I had joined Nate is because I have a thesis on creators versus consumers. And um, I was wondering if you've ever thought about like your personal investment thesis. If you were to be a VC and I were to give you like $20 million, what would you um, put your money into? Because I have an idea of what I would do, but I'm, I'm curious if you have an idea. Wow, what a fun question that is. I would love to actually sit down and like draw out how I would spend $20 million. Um, <laughs> homework for anybody listening to this. But <laughs> I think that for me, my personal investing thesis would be like funding the underfunded. Um, yeah. To your point about um, you know the the women who are starting companies and getting checks yeah. and getting valuations that just aren't matching up to the men who are doing the same thing in the same space or doing something similar in a similar space. Um, that would kind of be like what my goal would be if I were an investor. I mean, things change every day. My original. Uh, personal, like when I first got into space, I was like, I'm only going to invest in community driven or more community centered companies. Then I was like, wait a minute. I also am finding like underrepresented founders who I just believe, like I know nothing about what they're building, but I just believe in them as people and I would love to give them my money. Then once doing the insights, we ended up changing to early future of work. And then also that investing is a form of curation. And then I ended up going to a uh, more pre-seed seed fund called BPG Ventures. And I learned more about like investing in an individual and their personal network. And then Harlem Capital, which was mostly um, Series A. So how do you assess businesses? So then I became, I want to invest in founders 
who are underrepresented, who understand an upper, underrepresented market, and then now to being my creator stuff. So what I'm trying to say is, um, you should think about that. That was a perfect answer to show why you, like, you're the investor. And I thought you're, no. that was so intelligent and specific. Like, I, this is the lesson. You have to know what the problem is, right? When we're talking about becoming a creator, becoming an, becoming an investor, becoming anybody who wants to, and these are like the lessons we borrow from this conversation, make it through to the other side of whatever kind of bumpy road lies ahead. The, yeah. I think, biggest lesson here is to have big vision with specific mm -hmm. execution. And Absolutely. that will be the defining factor of, of who makes it versus who doesn't. But I have a feeling, Em, that you and the team are going to be just fine. So fingers <laughs> crossed. Thank you so much, Em, for joining me today. This was so much fun. I we have. I feel like we spawned a million other conversations. We're going to have to make this a recurring theme here. You will have to get back in the feet at some point in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Definitely. We'll do it. I'm here.